0: Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum. And today I'm pleased to welcome David Ockel. David, did I say your last name right? Yeah, that's about perfect. Thank you. David Achel is joining us today. He is a experienced cybersecurity expert who's worked with and for a number of leading technology companies. And he's here today because the Austin Forum has a recurring theme that we want to address in our podcast series as well as our presentations, and that is the new risks of cybersecurity attacks and the growing risks of that. So, David, thanks for being on the Austin Forum Upload today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jay. I'm uh, excited to be here. Well, as you know because you already listened to it and I appreciate that, a few months ago we had a podcast episode number 52 where we talked with another Austin cybersecurity expert Gabe Schuyler and we really in that one focused on the motivation for the increase uh the increased risk of cybersecurity attacks and what people could individually do, what are some basic things that everybody should do? to protect themselves and their accounts. And in many cases, that's protecting their company or organization as well, but but protecting the things that they have access to individually. So I did want to start with just a recap on your views of that today. Before we get into today's real topic, which is your guidance about what the landscape looks like for cybersecurity uh, threats to companies and organizations, what you see as some of the emerging threats and what some of your recommendations are at sort of the corporate and agency and organization level. So does that sound good? Can we start with sort of a your own personal view of basic advice for everybody? Yeah,
1: that sounds great. Uh let me get into that. Um, I think you know, your podcast the other day covered it pretty well, but to, to rehash some of these things, um what would I personally do to protect me and my my data as an individual um, from getting hung up in cyber breaches. Um, So certainly uh, keeping my devices patched, right? So be that my phone or Mm -hmm. my laptop, um, be that my uh, little TV device or um, (laughs) uh, audio speaker that's connected to Wi-Fi, my thermostat. Hey David, I have um, to ask you before you even
0: go on. Do you have uh-huh? a tough time convincing some people to update? It always drives me crazy. I'm a little OCD, and when I <laughs> see that that badge or something on an, on the secu- on the system settings indicating there's an update, and I see it on anyone's phone, I, I can't help but nudge them. Hey, you really should update your software. Hey, you should. Up, and they sometimes I get this pushback, like, "Oh no, it's just going to be slower after that." I'm like. It's probably security updates. You want to do it for the security updates alone. Do you do you have that problem when you when you talk to people that are actually hesitant for fear of slowing their thing down and that they don't they underestimate the importance of security updates?
1: Often, yes, right. So my my partner she is used to me saying, "Hey, there's a new iOS update. Um, you should probably go apply that." But um, I do cringe when I uh, am on Zoom sessions with folks and their little browser says, hey, restart me to apply security patches. (laughs) Um, And it's tough, right? It's, uh, I think it works in general life, especially a lot of these things you can just set to auto update themselves now. Um, And so the point for me where I, I have to think myself and draw the line is like, imagine you have an old iPad, Uh, And now Apple doesn't, uh, it's so old that Apple doesn't publish iPad OS updates for it anymore. Um, For me, that's the point where uh, I will go get rid of that device and invest into new hardware. I
0: I hear what you're Um, saying. I mean, if they're not going to roll out updates, then that means they're not going to roll out security updates in many cases. So don't have personal information on that. I hear you. That's exactly right. So keeping everything updated makes lots of sense because the manufacturers know their devices better than anybody, and they are staying on top of threats in general. So they'll provide security at the system level for their devices. So that makes sense. And as a user,
1: just keep up with that. What else you got? Um, So keeping your uh, digital identities uh, safe, right? And so that's two things come to mind there immediately for me. One is just the generic social media accounts that we all have. check their privacy settings do you really want to share uh intimate details about your life with the the world or do you want to restrict that to your friends right and then what if the social media network itself gets hacked so be aware of the information you're sharing uh, (laughs) and think about who you might want to see that or not um and the second thing there is um Protecting your accounts, be that your email account, your social media accounts, um, you know, again the the account for uh, remote controlling your thermostat um, or your hot tub. Who knows? Um, uh, you guys talked on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about uh, multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication, using password managers. It is a fact that just having passwords on online accounts is just not very secure for many reasons. Um, You know, There's guessing attacks that adversaries can run against the provider that's keeping the account secure. Um, There is phishing attacks that adversaries can roll out, costing them pennies, so they're not targeting you specifically, they're just targeting everybody. Um, And if there's only password on your account, that might enable them to get into those very easily. So looking into uh you know what can I use as a second factor, most accounts these days uh, offer that option yeah and and it's one of those things that's um it's burdensome, right? security is it annoying is. sometimes yeah. uh, so it it costs you extra effort, uh, but it's it's most likely worth it.
0: We are such a impatient. Generation and we want to uh, we want to log in right away. We want it to remember our passwords so we don't even have to. Which of course is is dangerous if you store those all in like a browser, and then somebody gets access to your system with your browser and all the stored passwords. But um, yeah, we, we we don't even want to type in passwords anymore. But typing in passwords alone uh, isn't sufficient. That two two factor is really important. So I have grudgingly started changing all of my <laughs> passwords to very hard to guess passwords especially for financial accounts and things like that and turning on two factor and third not cursing when the two factor prompt comes up and i
1: have to do that again and just accepting that's the way it is now that's right and and there's some hope uh that there's you know things are becoming easier some of the um you know pass keys uh is a, a yeah. new standard um by the FIDO alliance that's very popular that's being rolled out and so some of it is becoming easier but um i think we just all have to accept that that security comes at a cost it's it's not um it takes extra effort but we got to do it
0: yeah and as we talked about in that episode 52 and i'm sure you'll agree the uh the threats for cyber attacks are only growing. It's not going to dissipate that anyone can foresee because there's increasing value in hacking people. Uh, we keep more and more of our information online, including personal health information, financial information, et cetera, um, and just productivity information, which can lead to you know ransom attacks. But your personal information can lead to can can lead to anything from blackmail to outright monetary theft and and, and more. So um, I think we talked in that episode about in the old days, they used to want to steal physical things. Since we've gone online, they want to steal your IP that's stored digitally instead of in the filing cabinet. But uh, now there's just value in stealing data, raw data you can get insights from. I mean, there's data brokers that sell all this raw data, But behind the scenes. And we all know that. So thus, that data must have value if there's brokers selling it. Well, that means there's value in hackers getting it without buying it as well for the kinds of things they want to do. So uh, hopefully, you know, where some technology trends are cyclical and we've seen the rise and fall of pagers and the rise and fall of VHS machines, we're not, I don't really see any end in sight for cyber attacks. Do you? No. Um,
1: cyber attacks will continue it's it's an ever-evolving uh yeah cat, cat and mouse game right? Um, right as new technologies uh evolve uh, uh threats adapt um and and so the defense has to adapt and uh sure like you just said that that followed us from the physical world into the digital one and uh, will follow us into the the virtual one and yeah uh, absolutely so, you know, our readers, I'm sorry,
0: our listeners are are well aware of, you know, not using simple passwords. We've made it clear that you should use complex passwords in various Austin forum content that you should use two factor and so on. So let's get into the meat of today's podcast, which is really about the threats to companies and organizations. So let's start with an easy one how do you how would you characterize the current landscape here in mid- 2023 of the threat of cyber attacks the vectors you're seeing that are most prominently used the kinds of attacks the kinds of thefts uh obviously ransomware is an increasingly big one but just give us your big picture overview of what's the current state of uh cyber attacks and the risks of such
1: on companies and organizations today Sure. Um, I'll keep that generic because, you know, my, my day job isn't uh, being a defender who actually looks at all the individual threats that are coming in. But um, what we can see and, and um, one interesting data point that everybody can go and look at is uh, Verizon's uh, data breach investigations uh, report that they publish on an annual basis where they're um, incident response team basically publishes statistics on what they've seen over the past year in the breaches that they've uh, explored, uh, right? Uh, so um, what do we see? We keep seeing more of the same, um, but so a couple of things that might be interesting to point out are, for example, that um, looking at the latest version of this report, the the DBIR that just came out on June 6th, um, like almost three quarters of breaches involve a human element as part of the compromise to an organization, right? And so what that means is that uh, as a company, you probably can and you should do a lot of things to technically protect your systems. Um, But even if you do that, one of the weakest links you still have then are your actual humans, your employees, your, um, your partners, Everybody who has accounts on your systems um, and so that's uh, that's an interesting thing to continue to be aware of that just as uh like as individuals we have to be aware of not um, becoming subject to phishing scams in our private lives um that is an important factor in the corporate world so protecting against um that human element being compromised. How do you do that awareness training? uh, That is uh, something that every company needs to think about and do. Um, And uh, then to some extent, you can mitigate that yourself with um, technology again, right? Like having like filter appliances for your email coming in and making sure that it tries to filter out the majority Mm -hmm. of phishing attempts um, etc um what else do we see? uh typical organization right will either be uh, by now, if you are a a younger company, maybe be in the cloud, all of your resources are hosted by in the environments of the likes of Amazon or Microsoft or Google. Um, but, There's plenty of organizations around that still have physical hardware sitting around. And that might be in data centers, if you are a larger, well-organized shop, or it might be in a closet somewhere. And um, so uh, again, the trick here is if, if you are maintaining these things yourself and you don't have a cloud services provider maintaining your infrastructure, you need to secure it, you need to keep it patched, like we all need to keep our laptops patched um, and uh, think about how to defend it. How do you restrict access to it? Um, What does that look like at the network level? Um, You know, for a long time and still ongoing, most of the, the attacks we see in the corporate world are remote attacks. So they happen over networks in one way or another. Okay, so uh, and something else um, we see in in Verizon's Verizon's report is the uh, fact that almost twenty percent of the breaches they were involved in investigating uh, involve uh, insiders. So uh, those are humans that actually work for you as the organization that got breached, right? And so yeah. that's something that's. In my experience, extremely difficult to for an organization to grasp that your own employees might cause you data breach. And um, so, there's roughly maybe three ways that can happen, right? So, one is you actually have a malicious human, and they are like a disgruntled employee, or maybe you fired them, and before they leave. Uh, if they have like system administrator access, they planned a backdoor, or something, or maybe they they post things well, on that the just internet. Seems like
0: a bad move to fire somebody with sysadmin access before removing sysadmin access. But okay,
1: right? But it happens. But yeah. but so so that's the the one is the actual like uh, insiders that have a malicious intent, right? Um, that's that's sort of the obvious one, and the one that's the hardest to. Internalize uh, as an organization. I really have to defend against that. Like my employees are all great, they're perfect. Um, Another one is human mistakes, right? Right. And so somebody just accidentally um, uh, attaching an email with, uh, I don't know, um, the salary information of everybody in the company to somebody who wasn't supposed to be privy to that information Um, and uh, things like that or like sharing like protected health information with unauthorized recipients um, by accident so that happens Uh, so so thing ways you can protect against that to some extent are making sure that you don't give your humans more access than they need to data so that they can't accidentally compromise it Um, And then monitoring for, you know, is there like protected information in email attachments or whatnot? So there's some technology you can throw against that problem. And then the third um, major aspect of that is that you need to think about What if my humans who have like admin privileges or are like my software developers that develop my applications, um, they aren't malicious, they don't make accidents, but their laptop gets hacked or their account gets compromised. And now whoever um, caused that compromise May have access to whatever that human has access to in your organization and so that's another um, fairly significant vector for threats in the corporate world is how do i keep my corporate identities and my humans and the devices they use to connect to my systems secure so i'm going to try to summarize this for our listeners and just make sure i've
0: got it right you You listed sort of three primary vectors that corporations, companies, uh, organizations, agencies, et cetera, um, have to worry about. Um, One that we hope is not too big a a factor or or too common a factor is disgruntled employees. So uh, employees that for some reason uh, have it in for the, have sufficient rights and have sufficient motivation to intentionally do something wrong. Two is the much more common case of employees who mean well and have access to things, but make some mistake, maybe a phishing attack or uh, or some other kind of mistake that opens up a vulnerability. And the third, you said, is people that don't even make a mistake, but maybe their device somehow gets compromised anyway. And because they had certain rights and privileges to IT backend infrastructure, once the device is hacked, maybe just through cleverness from an external party, not through mistake of the employee, that still provides a vector in for an outside person to uh, get inside and see data and uh get through uh to to
1: various things they shouldn't get through. Is that is that a reasonable summary? Yeah, that's a great summary. As as far as humans are concerned, uh and being a vector uh for threats, um that that's I think some of the main things to think about.
0: Yeah, I'm I've definitely seen you know large companies and and hopefully small companies as well. I I've definitely seen the policies put in place uh, that you mentioned here, such as you know speaking to that last group. Don't leave your laptop anywhere if you're not in the office. Don't leave it in the car while you go into a cafe. Um, Keep your laptop with you if it's out with you in public anywhere. And even when you walk away from your desk, uh, secure it to the desk or inside the desk and lock the screen as well. So um, my last uh, big company I worked for was very strict on those kinds of things. Um, Also, in terms of making sure you don't make any uh, accidental mistakes, there were various phishing tests that were sent out to all employees. And there were actually some repercussions for failing more than one of those. It was expected that everybody would learn how to recognize phishing attempts and not click on links that were questionable and such. And and by and large, everybody did because it was a tech company. But I was glad they did those tests. And you also mentioned monitoring of email. I think this is a real common thing in in big companies and hopefully most companies uh, to have things in place to monitor attachments. Uh, in flight before they are opened by somebody accidentally. So those those are all good precautions to take, but I'm curious, are you seeing the sophistication of, you mentioned the cat and mouse game, so I'm guessing the answer is going to be yes, but the sophistication of these hackers to get around these things. They know that people are learning how to detect phishing attempts, so are they getting better at the quality of their phishing attempts? They know that people are being told to not leave their devices unattended. Are they getting better at snooping into those devices over wireless networks in a cafe or public place? And so on. Are you seeing what kinds of sophistication are you seeing these days from uh hackers to account for the fact that people are by and large, especially in companies, by and large better trained with cybersecurity practices and with tools working for them behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, that's uh that's a good question. Um, sure. Um, we get more sophisticated defending against these attacks. Uh, at the same time, like you just suggested, adversaries get more sophisticated at mm-hmm. um, finding new ways. And and so some of that is just uh, technological advances, right? Um, so as um, uh, organizations become better defending us against certain threats. Um, the tools that automate the attacks just become better and more populated. And so, you know, we, we used to talk about script kitties, just uh, being able to download uh, um, hacking tools and using those to attack organizations um, yeah. uh, without much sophistication. And that still holds true, um, you know. The tools get better, and so like it just keeps evolving. The other thing that that I think is certainly true is, um, as an organization, especially a smaller one, uh, if you do at least the basics, um, some of those we talked about at the beginning of the podcast to um, protect yourself and your systems. Um, you might exceed the threshold where these automated tools are likely to get you, right? If you keep your systems patched, less likely that somebody who just routinely scans the internet for unpatched systems will uh, will find one of your uh, web servers or what have you and mm-hmm. uh, that's vulnerable and exploited. Um, uh, but from there, then of course, it's, that's where you go and look at, okay, what if I have... Assets that I'm a custodian of, and that could be anything, right? Somebody else's financials or um personal information, um, um, or or whatever it is. What if I have assets as an organization that I'm entrusted with, um, or that enable my business that are of specific interest to adversaries, and so that's where um you have to think about becoming better or more specific about protecting your organization against specific threats. Who might actually want uh, to uh, steal those assets from you, exploit them, and how can you defend against that? And all of a sudden, it's not anymore just the, uh, um, the, oh, we've got the basic security hygiene sorted out, we're good. Now you need to think about specific risks. And uh, to go back to your question, that's just a, a very generic, you know, way of saying, yeah, sure. Um, we get better at defending, but but adversaries get better at um, exploitation. And that is especially the case if there is actual like criminal interests uh, in in the assets you have, as an so, organization.
0: So there's some emerging technologies that you and I know about: artificial intelligence uh, and edge computing. So artificial intelligence as a as a technique, a, a, a set of applications, algorithms, and workloads, and edge computing as a deployment model for deploying more and more infrastructure into the built environments and spaces to collect data and do analytics where the data happens, as opposed to not always having to bring it back to a data center or cloud. And I'm wondering if you're seeing either or both of these become increasing risk vectors for hacking. And what I mean by that, just as an example, I would assume people are using generative adversarial network approaches in AI to try to improve their hacking techniques. This might be at the level of state-sponsored uh, cyber threats as opposed to the, you know, the cliche 14-year-old sitting in a basement somewhere. attacking Although maybe they're using those techniques as well. So, and, and then on edge computing, one of my concerns is, you know, when everything's locked down in a data center or a cloud at least people don't have physical access to the devices but in in a world in which we project the number of devices outside of data centers is going to grow faster than the number of devices inside there's the potential for physical access to these devices as well so what are you seeing in these two threads threads uh, ai and uh edge computing what are your uh, observations, concerns,
1: recommendations, etc. Yeah, let's talk about AI first. Um, and I think your observation is spot on. And I don't think it's just nation states. It's, uh, it's way easier than that. I have uh, seen fellow uh, security researchers on the benign side of it, right? Uh, just look at, um, can I get around some of the safeguards that the popular generative AI tools right now are putting into place to prevent um, them from being used in abusive ways and malicious ways, and and yes, they can. So um, I've seen recent news articles where basically um, somebody said, hey, here's this exploit that I can use to breach a system hey, uh, AI, can you rewrite this for me so that it looks different, but it still works the same? And the AI was successful in that, right? And now what I've accomplished is that at the current state of the cat and mouse game, the uh, detection mechanisms that most organizations have in place for that exploit might be so specific that they only look at that one variant that was originally known and they are not smart enough to look at what an AI may have transformed that into. Um, And so that might be a temporary edge, right? Will the detection capabilities catch up to that? Most likely, Um, but yeah, there's there's absolutely um, things you can think of where right now you can abuse Generative AI um language models to to help you with those kind of things. Um you know, uh just think about phishing. And um I remember you all talking the other day about hey, uh like uh, adversaries now use spell checkers to um <laughs> to check their phishing emails <laughs> and scams. Um imagine what they can do now that. They can use like AI to ask them to like, hey, craft me a well-formed blurb about X, Y, or Z that somebody in this position who has access to financial data would buy. What what are they likely to pay attention to? That's Uh, true. It takes less time
0: to use uh, chat GPT to craft a well-formed email than it does to manually type a badly typed, badly spelled one. So (laughs) I can certainly see generative uh, tools, uh, generative AI tools, improving the quality of some phishing messages, unfortunately. Um, What about edge computing? Do you have, I I have a lot of concerns with this. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a proponent of being able to instrument the world with sensors and actuators and edge computing devices that can monitor stresses and strains on bridges in real time and give alerts if needed, and that can monitor everything from air quality to building integrity to uh, uh, preventive maintenance needs on aircraft engines and so on. But the the presence of all of these computers out there in the built environments and and machinery and infrastructure certainly uh, into the electrical grid, for example, certainly poses another physical access risk,
1: right? absolutely does. Um, And we've seen that for a while, uh, not specifically to edge computing, but in the critical infrastructure space, right? So some of the examples you just mentioned, um, uh, electricity, like provision of energy, um, all these control systems being used in these contexts, um, historically, weren't super well protected, because they didn't used to be online. Um, and, And now, like you say, Uh, We're moving more and more of those devices uh, into areas where um, they, uh, of course, they're online. That's the premise. Uh, Mm -hmm. IoT, right, being one of the buzzwords. Um, I I think the way I think about that uh, is maybe twofold. Uh, To your point about wow, now all of these devices are sitting out there not protected in a data center, physically accessible. I think that's true, Um, but the the threats that originate from uh, that circumstance are probably again, limited to somebody actually having a very targeted abuse case in mind and actually like spending the effort of, you know, like walking up to a bridge or a sensor somewhere and trying to mess with it physically. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And
1: I think that the much larger threat landscape again is in them being connected uh, and, um, the fact that I can access them remotely and try to exploit whatever software is running on them remotely. That's probably the, um. The majority of threats that, that we need to look at, and I think it's very true that, especially in the, in this world where you can buy cheaply made devices for your home that are that hook into your Wi Fi and are connected, um, probably a large percentage of those vendors, uh, do not have a budget or a mind to spend a lot of effort on protecting those, and so. Yeah. Right. What that means is that both in your private households or uh, as an organization, you need to think about the risks you incur when you use those devices. And maybe that's manageable, right? Like in a private context, I mentioned thermostats earlier. If I put all of my IoT devices at my house on a separate network segment, give them their own Wi-Fi network um, so that they can't mess with wherever I process my personal data on my laptops in the house. Maybe that's good enough. Maybe not. Depends on your risk profile. As an organization that gets much harder, now I really need to understand what my vendors are doing in terms of um, protecting the uh, computing infrastructure on those devices and the data that's being stored on them, the data that's being sent right. elsewhere on them. And then again, to your earlier point, if I'm worried about physical attacks, that gets really hard, right? Um, uh, and we see that, we've always seen that, Um
0: In the car, and you you can secure physical devices in certain environments such that they can't be accessed, even though they're out in the physical world. You can also limit or eliminate the number of uh, ways to inject code into those devices as well. Um, You you, you maybe there's even techniques for uh, some of these devices them alerting if there's even an attempt to tamper, shock you know, vibration kinds of measurements, uh, uh, any kind of uh, significant wireless signal nearby, et cetera. I'm sure in military grade edge computing, that's probably all built in. But these are the kinds of things that I think we're going to have to worry about as well as we deploy computing into more and more places, not just in our data centers and in our homes, but everywhere in the world, just presents more opportunities for either theft of data or even just malicious uh intent of messing with the device so that the stoplight shows green in both directions or something or so that the EV uh the camera suddenly no longer works. That's one that I worry about or something like that. Yep, yeah,
1: yeah. And um I I think you're right. Um you know in some contexts we we've uh, we've known how to protect ourselves uh For a while, so think about uh, smart cards being used for authentication, or Mm -hmm. in things like uh, payment cards, um, or think about uh, you know the the alarm system panel in your house. They are probably protected against those kind of attacks fairly well, and and you can extend that to all the new use cases we have these days. But again. as the use cases become more ubiquitous and we're using those devices for all sorts of things and not necessarily for, uh, security purposes in the first place, uh, of course, we'll see a lot of technology that, that may not be well protected. And so it goes back to, you have to really think about the risks you are taking on using those things. And then, um, making a conscious decision about, you know, what I, what am I going to do in terms of uh, protecting myself versus is it even worth the risk? Uh,
0: Sure. So let's wrap up here and I'm going to try to combine some things from episode 52 that we alluded to here today uh, with things that we said today. So obviously the best defense for companies and organizations is having good IT people that are keeping everything patched and secure and then are ensuring that all of the employees understand best security practices, that they're implementing tools on their provided devices to keep those devices secure, implementing tools on the backend network to scan for intrusion attempts, malicious attachments, things like that. So these are all standard practices of companies, but it becomes important, ever increasingly important, to have well-trained security staff among your IT staff that are able to play this cat and mouse game and always be the faster cat and understand what the what the mice are trying, the new mice are trying to do, and and make sure to implement uh, policies, procedures, and tools at the organizational level and across all the devices that the organization manages. To predict. But there, of course, is it's incumbent on the employees to read the policies, to execute the practices, to uh, report anything suspicious as well. And that as the world moves from a world of primarily data center uh servers and uh, employee personal computing devices to one that uh, also includes not just smartphone devices and tablets, but lots of installed edge computing devices in infrastructure, in buildings, et cetera, that to stay on top of the methods for updating that, the network connectivity and the intrusion attempts that maybe uh, could take place on the networks connecting those devices and the physical security of those devices and the ability of those devices to prevent unauthorized access uh, by network or physical attempt at those edge devices. So I think that's sort of a comprehensive summary of what we've talked about today. Is that, is that fair? What
1: have I left out? You, you've you left out a ton of stuff that we didn't talk oh, you about. You mean I didn't get all of computer security <laughs> in one summary there? Uh, I, no, I think you certainly got, you got the basics covered, um, right? But, you know, we could fill podcasts just oh, about the, the question of, like, um, as an organization, how do I become more methodical about information security and... Yeah you know, like the whole aspect of as we're moving away from the olden IT days to DevOps and software engineers run their own applications in the cloud, like what do we do then? And, you know, how do I run awareness programs so that my employees don't have to read like a 60 page security policy and and Try to remember everything in there, but it's more intuitive. Um, that's all like you know, we, we can spend days talking about that, but but I think you got the
0: yeah,
1: the basics were well covered. Um, the, the, the David, other we thing- should come back
0: in the future and talk about building you know secure architectures, right? We didn't really talk about the yeah. principles of building security in at the architectural level. That's a topic for another day as well. We should we should absolutely explore.
1: Totally. Um we we can certainly do that i'd be happy to uh the the other thing that i would give you listeners um uh as a pointer uh especially if you're in austin um there is a large information security community in austin and so if you're interested in these topics you can easily find people to talk to about this yep. uh, you can find resources and so uh, all the uh um the larger um information security organizations, communities. Uh, some of them are like the, the, the OWASP project and the Cloud Security Alliances and ISSA. They all have local chapters. Um, so it's easy to seek those out um, and start attending and asking questions um, if you're actually uh, wanting to learn more. David, I'm glad you
0: made that point. That's a great closing point. The Austin Forum on Technology and Society brings these topics into the discussion. We share some expertise on these topics, but we always like to close with where to go and learn more and how to get involved. And the Austin Forum upload reaches people far outside of Austin. But as you said, these organizations have chapters in many, many places, and there's great security information online. So I I, I think one of the things that we can be glad about is that there's a lot of great effort that goes into securing these systems and devices, and that community uh, is is very good about sharing information, and th- there's good access to that community, not just the electronic documents of that community, but even to the people in it, in the chapters of these various security organizations around the country and world. So. Um, and any final message for our listeners before we sign off? I have no final message, no. <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you very much for being with us. And I really appreciate your expertise here uh, today and sharing that with our listeners. We will continuously revisit the topics of cybersecurity, as well as AI, climate, energy, health tech, Metaverse and more throughout our programming, throughout our podcasts and events. But cybersecurity is absolutely one of those that I hope our listeners will tune in again and again for. And David, we hope that you will be back once we dive into this deeper and dive into different areas of cybersecurity and uh, cyber threats in the future. Thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jay.
0: Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at AustinForum.org. The upload is a
1: production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.